for our scripture reading this afternoon, we'll turn again first to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, we will read only from 14 through 22, which we read also this morning, and we'll also read a portion from 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as unto wise men. Judge yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons? Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And then we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll begin reading at verse 12. For as the body is one, and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, Third, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. 
Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I'll show you a more excellent way. This far the reading of God's Word this afternoon. So our text for this afternoon comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll focus on verse 17, which I'll read at this time again. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 17. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. When we come to the Lord's table, as we did this morning, the most important thing is, is to remember Christ and that, that communion that you have with Him through those means of grace given. Through that bread and through that wine, we are reminded of what Christ provides for our souls. But the other important aspect is that when we come to this table, we don't come alone, but we come together. We come as the church. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is not just personal and individual, but it's also corporal. Not only do we have communion with the Lord Jesus Christ primarily, but there's also communion or fellowship with each other. And the feast not only shows the glory of Christ, but also the blessedness and the glory of the church of Christ as it gathers together at this special feast. And so at this table, we're also drawn closer to Christ. And at the same time, we're also drawn closer to one another. And that bread of fellowship shows there's also a, a mutual association. In First John 1, John says that he declares what he has seen and heard. And he says, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is a shared fellowship that we are, that is strengthened and increased in a special way through the Lord's Supper. And so this afternoon, our theme is the bread of fellowship. And we'll see what first, that this bread represents the body. The bread signifies that, that fellowship that exists between one another, believers. It represents that union with each other in the, in the one body of Christ. And this morning when we looked at verse 16, it spoke of the literal body of Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world in bodily form and was, was crucified in bodily form. But in verse 17, now it's speaking of the figurative body of Christ, that is, the church, the body of believers, where it says here, For we, though many, are one bread and one body. And that same word is used in 1 Corinthians 12, which we also read this, this afternoon, where it says in verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Then also in, in verse 27 of chapter 12, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. 
So believers not only participate in that vertical relationship with, with Christ that they have at the table, but also horizontally, there's also a, a fellowship with one another as we come to the table. That's what the early church experienced as well as Acts Acts 2 verse 42 says where it says they, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so when we see this bread at the supper, we think not only of Christ, but also of his, the figurative body of Christ, the church of Christ. The body of which Christ is the head. And if you consider how a loaf of bread is made, it's made of many grains all ground together, making one loaf. So we, being many, are also incorporated into the one body of Christ. One body. Even though the church is scattered throughout all the world and throughout all the ages, it's still incorporated into one body, compacted together. And if you look at that loaf, all those grains are have the same nature, the same stuff. And the, the church is made up of basically the same elements. We all come from the same stock of Adam. We've all been born in sin and, and, and iniquity. We are all saved by grace through this Lord Jesus Christ. We're all taken out of the life of sin. We're all engrafted into Christ by faith. And now all believers are partakers of that same divine nature, all, all born again, all bearing that same image of Christ. And so we're all called to be the light of that same gospel into this world. And so the Lord's Supper here also conveys to us the fact that we've been brought together in the closest possible way by a spiritual communion in Christ in one Spirit. And that's also why the sacrament is a church ordinance. It was instituted by Christ for the church and in the church. It's not something we eat at home by ourselves or apart from the church, but it's a gathering of believers. And that's why it also speaks of sharing that one bread, that one loaf, and that the one cup in the presence of the church. There's, there's that rich symbolism showing in the, in the presentation of, of those elements. Now one loaf shows that unity, even though there's diversity in the grains that make it up. Even though there's different shades of grain, there are different sizes as there is a different people. It, it's all ground together making one loaf. There's unity held together in one loaf. And so the supper unites us together in this gathering. But it also indicates that we are united with that one church throughout all ages. United with the apostles as we share in their doctrine and fellowship that they were commissioned to bring more than 2,000 years ago. This bread reminds us of the one universal church of Christ that we confessed in, our, in the Apostles' Creed together. When he gathers people from every, every nation, from every language, and every tongue. And one day, all those people will be gathered together around his throne in heaven to be one complete church. And so that's why it's also important that in the church of Christ, all immorality, all sin, it must be, must be dealt with. There must be discipline. It must be 
put away. Because the loaf is to be a pure loaf. If, if one member is living in sin, then that loaf is not uh, pure anymore. It's not kept in, in unity. And that's why we must be, do all we can to preserve that unity in the church, among ourselves, even as it, it is expressed at the table. And so we cannot tolerate any divisiveness amongst ourselves or in the church. And never tolerate anything that would undermine our confidence in the church or in the unity of the body of Christ. And so we also are to be mindful of one another. As in 1 Corinthians 12, there said, if one member suffers, the whole body suffers. We know that if we cut ourselves or, or scratch ourselves, we, we feel it in our whole body. The whole body suffers. It's almost like that, that one incident has to be healed before the body can continue on its way again. If we have a sore back, it cripples everything else that we intend to do. But how often is it that there's a single member of the congregation who is hurt, and yet the rest of the body doesn't seem to notice? Our body knows what belongs to our body because we feel it. And so do we also feel the connection with one another? Do we feel our pains and our joys, our ups and our downs, our sufferings and our, and our burdens? Do we carry them? Do we, do we carry them as one body? But then secondly, we also see that this bread is shared in friendship. Eating together is often a, a symbol of, of friendship. You can invite people over to your, to your house to share in a meal, to enjoy their company, and to develop that relationship, that friendship that you have with one another. And that's especially true in ancient cultures. And if you think of Scripture, you can see how Abraham, how he prepared a feast. He had his wife prepare loaves of bread and his servants prepare a fatted calf when, when the three men came to his tent and he had a meal with them, a meal of friendship. In Job chapter 1, all Job's children took turns, or the sons took turns, hosting a feast at their own house for their siblings. They had feasts of friendship. And in Luke 15, the prodigal son, he, he left home from his father. But when he returned, he did not expect anything more than to become a servant. That was his confession. He'd come home to be only a servant. But his father hosted a feast. It was a feast as a sign of sharing in the joy of being reunited with his son, of being bound together in a close friendship and fellowship. And the reason was because he said, because the son was lost, but now is found. And in a similar way, the Lord's Supper is a feast to share in that joy and that fellowship of those who have returned to the Father's house. Lost sinners who have been found. And isn't there always joy among the people of God when they hear of a person who is saved of a, or when they see new members also able to come to the Lord's table? Or in Jude 12, the New Testament speaks of love feasts. Fellowship meals with the church as an expression of the delight that they have in each other's company. You delight to be in, in the company of those who you can share your heart with. 
to speak of the things of the Lord, to walk alongside each other in this world. It's not often that you can bear your heart to another person. And you certainly don't do that with people who do not understand the Lord or do not, do not live in that way, but you do it with other Christians. And it's with those you can share your struggles and your burdens and your heart with. And so the Lord's Supper is not only a remembrance of Christ, but also an expression of that friendship in Christ, of that shared bond and that shared unity and faith. And so even as we leave the Lord's table as we did this morning, we need to seek to promote this also in, in our life, to open our homes to one another, open our hearts and our lives to one another, as Peter says, especially to the household of faith, as we know you do. But then thirdly, this eating of bread also indicates that there is a covenant Feasting together in the Scriptures is often connected with covenants. The feast is a visible sign of the covenant that it was made between two people. This morning I mentioned how Jacob was returning back to the land of Canaan after he left working for Laban. But if you read in Genesis 31, where Jacob was returning to Canaan to, to return to where his father lived, he, he had worked for Laban now for those 20 years and there had been some disagreements and arguments and Laban had not been treating him fairly. And so he, he left. But here Laban came after him and they, they spoke together. And in, in Genesis 31, they made a covenant together that they would not harm each other, but that they would live in, in friendship. And so after they had made this covenant Jacob offered a sacrifice, and then they all joined together in a meal of friendship. And so this meal was a natural expression of that covenant of peace and fellowship that they had made. And on a much larger scale, that is true for the feasts of God, for the feasts of Jehovah. And the Passover feast in particular was ordained by God to be kept as a feast to the Lord every year. It was meant to commemorate what the Lord had done when he delivered them from Egypt. A feast to unite the people of God around the work of God's deliverance. And you see that through the history of Israel many years later when, when the nation of Israel split into two. And Jeroboam became the king of the northern tribes. He wanted to break that unity because he wanted to keep his people in his side. And so he, instead of keeping the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem, he set up idols and, and various places where they could go to have a different kind of feast. So he, he tried to break down, he tried to get rid of this feast to break the unity of the people. And we see the opposite happening when Josiah became king. He read the law of God and he heard that God had commanded that they must keep this Passover feast every year. And what he did was he rid the country of idols and he gathered the people together and he, he read the law and they, they held a Passover feast. They reunited the people. So to revive the nation, they revived the feasts, which were a reminder of the covenant they had with God. 
And that is also important for us. That we must be diligent to uphold what God has ordained for the New Testament church. That we must uphold the Lord's Day. That we must uphold the preaching. We must uphold the sacraments and the discipline of the church to maintain that unity and the feast that God has given. Because His Lord's Supper is a covenant feast. The Lord said this cup is the blood of the new covenant. It's the expression that the believers have given themselves to each other and are joined inseparably to in Christ. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 4 says that the, the people there first gave themselves to the Lord, but then also to one another. And that happens in a very real sense. When, when a person is saved, they, and, and they give themselves to the Lord. And, and so also to one another. And so there's not only an expression of unity with Christ, but an expression of our unity with one another. An agreement to walk together in the same faith and love and bond. And children, you remember Ruth, who, who did not want to leave Naomi. And, and she said, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. That's the expression of the people of God. And so joining the church is, is a vow not only to God, but also to one another. And that's why it's so important that that when someone withdraws from the membership of the church without a proper reason or especially without going to a different assembly, they're breaking their vows, they're going back on their, their words and they become guilty before God. And that's why it's also important that we maintain the fellowship of this church and the sacraments, especially during difficult times like in the past few years. Because it's clear to see that there is some sort of national attempt to break the unity and the fellowship of the church of Christ. And we need more than ever to be united together as Christians. And that's also why church membership is serious. Joining the visible church of Christ, joining the body of Christ as in a covenant. And then we see lastly that this fellowship is only possible through Christ. Because it, the bond that unites us is Christ. And at the Lord's Supper we confess with Ephesians 4 that we have one faith, one Lord, one, one baptism, one God and Father of all. You're assembled, you're united in Christ, by Christ, and through Christ. He's the one who has brought us into this friendship. He is the one who made this covenant possible. And that's why Paul mentions the, the blood and the body of Christ in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10. The cup of blessing which we bless is not a communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is not a communion of the body of Christ. So we all partake of this same body visibly at the table. All of this one bread we all partake of this one Christ spiritually. He is the object of our faith alone. And that's what unites and that's what binds. And so every 
believer is united by this faith in Christ. And that's what we express in, in sharing this meal at the Lord's Supper. And that's what's communicated when believers all around the world take part in the same feast in their own assemblies. It's that one common feast in their own location. And so this is only possible through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the one who had to die for, his, for believers. His death is the one that brings together this one people and unites us who were before scattered throughout this world. And we can ask and we can think, where were you when the Lord found you? When he called you to himself? We were like sheep scattered on a thousand hills. As a, as a sheep without a shepherd all alone. But he brought us into that one fold. He died for sin and was made to be sin. It was his life and his death that atoned for sin. And you're made partakers of that. Where his righteousness becomes your righteousness. Where his blood becomes your pardon. Where his inheritance becomes your inheritance. If you're made fellow heirs with Christ. As you're made sons and daughters of the living God. As you're adopted into the family of the living God himself in Christ. Where God sees you there as if you never had any sin. As if you had obeyed all righteousness. And not one of us can say that we've done this in our own strength. Not one of us has done this in our own works but it's only in Christ. And so what every believer has, you all have in Christ. Not one possesses anything different in essence than another. What do we have that we have not freely received from Christ, but it all comes through Him? And that is why we sit down together at one table, and we share in one feast with one bread and one wine because we share in one Christ. And what are some applications we can draw from this? Well, if we are in one body, we must also show that same love and respect for one another. If we're one with Christ, we're one with each other. And that if we sit together around this table in, in unity and eat of the same food and drink, then this must continue in our daily life with one another and in unity, in friendship, and in peace, and in bearing one another's burdens. And so we must strive to live in peace in the, in the church and outside of the church. When we see our, our society, we're so individualistic. People live such separate lives and neglect one another during the week. It's not uncommon to see people walking with their earphones in. And there's no way really to connect with them, even when they're sitting down at a restaurant. But there's also practical reasons in life why what has happens in our own church family. 
that the busyness of life and the distances, but there should still be a striving to live together as one community, as one body. The other thing is that today it's not uncommon to hear some people call themselves Christians, but want nothing to do with the visible church of Christ. They say it's easier to be alone at home and listen online. And worst of all, they say it avoids the disunity and all the arguing that happens inside the church. Now that's very sad if the people end up leaving because of disunity. When the church is the very place that is called to be the picture of unity. We're the one bread and the one body of Christ united so intimately in Christ through His shed blood and crucified body. This is to be the one body of Christ. This should be the last place that people leave because of disunity. But there's also those who do not love Christ's people because they do not love Christ. To say that we're in Christ and yet not to love His people is saying that you're part of a body, but you can't tolerate that body. It's a contradiction. One of the reasons that we must live as a united body is because we're called also to be holy. We're called to be separate from the world. Just like the nation of Israel is called to be separate from all the nations around them, as a picture of the church of Christ to be separate from the world. And now when life is easy, when our nation is at peace, when there's freedom of religion, when there's economic prosperity, it's easy to live without needing that felt sense of unity and community in the faith. But when oppression comes, or when the government floods the nation with antichrist teachings on homosexuality or transgenderism, the schools are influenced to teach anti-scriptural doctrines, we see the need that we need to band together more to come out of the world and its indoctrination. We must withdraw ourselves from the public schools, from any association that will compromise the faith and foundation of our children. We need unity in the doctrine and in the faith of Christ today as the world unites in opposition against Christ. It's one bread, one Lord, and one faith. Paul said, as we heard this morning, flee from idolatry. To be united with Christ in His church also requires that we're separated from all that is contrary to it. And he says here in verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Dearly beloved, when you attend the table of the Lord, you commit yourself to the Lord and to His people, to His church. You make your confession of your allegiance to the Lord. And your life must continually reflect that confession, that union 
that fellowship. And so we need to ask ourselves daily, is every place that we attend and is everything that we say or do a reflection of this confession and of this unity with the body of Christ? And it's vital to our faith that we increase that unity, that link with the local church in Christ. We need to walk in fellowship and unity because if we don't, we deny our fellowship with Christ. And we're to see Christ in one another. What we are, we are because of Christ. Because we are in Christ. We stand only by faith in Christ. We're sanctified through the Spirit of Christ, and part of that also comes through the body of Christ. And we're nourished as the body, through the body. And as the hymn writer says, it's for her, from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. And so that union will be perfected with Christ in each other when our faith will finally be made sight. And that should create a longing in us for that day when all the trials and all the disunity of this life will come to an end. When that loaf of bread that is broken will no longer need, be needed to be served to us because then you'll live from that bread of life forever. When we do not need to commune with Christ through the means of broken bread and poured out wine, because then you will drink from that fountain of living waters and you'll see Him face to face, not just through the symbols of bread and wine, but then in His very presence, in His very in, in, face to face with Him. And you'll be made like Him. And there all disunity will be gone forever. And His church will be one church forever never to be divided again. And so as Paul says here in verse 17, For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Amen.